My name's Dave, uh, and I'm a student minister here at City on a Hill. Uh, it's my joy to dig into this passage with you this morning. It's such a, a beautiful piece of God's word. Uh, so let's pray together as we do that. Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who speaks, and that today we get to listen uh, to you. We've listened to you as your word was read. Uh, now, as we dig into it some more, would you help us uh, to become more and more like the Lord Jesus? for your word to shape us and mold us, uh, to help us throw sin away, and to put on uh, the clothes of your people, the righteousness that you offer in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope this holds. Have you had that thought before? Uh, for me, it was the, the first night I stayed on a yacht, uh, and uh, we kind of arrived in this bay, uh, and the skipper, he kind of guides us through uh, laying out the anchor and, and, and kind of um, making sure that it's, it's got a good hold and testing the hold that it has on the floor of the sea. Uh, uh, we, t- we test that the length of the anchor line is right. Uh, we don't want to hit into any of the other boats that are anchored nearby. Uh, if the wind changes, we don't want to kind of be washed up on the beach or anything like that. Um, now, my fears were unwarranted, okay? The skipper, he knew what he was doing. Uh, and within a few nights, um, uh, as we went from kind of bay to bay around the Hauraki Gulf, I, I, I just slipped off to sleep with not a, that didn't even cross my mind, just kind of being rocked by the waves, rocked off to sleep. Uh, now, this guy, not so much. He hasn't had a good run. Uh, because anchors, they're a serious business, right? Uh, without them, a boat, it can drift off. Uh, it can run aground. It can be pushed into the rocks. Or it could just, just quietly drift away. Getting your anchor right is key. And so today, as we kick back into the book of Hebrews, uh, we're picking up in a letter. Okay, it's a letter, but it's kind of like a sermon that's been written down. And the preacher of the sermon, he's talking to Christians who have started to drift. They're people who've heard about Jesus. They love Jesus. But they've started to drift away from him. And as they drift away from him, they're drifting back into these Old Testament Jewish practices. Okay, and so they need something to stop the drift. They need an anchor. And so the preacher, as he, as he gives this message to the Hebrews, he wants them to see that in every way, in every way, Jesus is greater. All these Old Testament Jewish practices, okay, they're a shadow. They're a, Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is greater. And today we'll see that this is because Jesus brings hope, hope that anchors us to the throne room in heaven. Okay, we're going to look at the hope in three parts. Firstly, that we have a greater hope that is firm and secure. We have a hope of perfection, and we have a hope of complete salvation. So as we pick up in this, uh, this book of Hebrews in chapter 6, uh, in the passage that we read earlier, it'd be great to kind of have that open in front of you as we head through it this morning. 
the preacher turns to address this topic of hope. And as he starts talking about hope, okay, he reaches backwards. He reaches back into the history of God's people. And he says, let's take a look at this hope. Let's take a look at this hope that you want to turn back to, this hope of Abraham. Because if, if we take a close look at the hope, this kind of Old Testament hope of Abraham, and if we trace it all the way through to the end, he says what we're going to see is that it's ultimately pointing to Jesus. Come with me to verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Okay, so the preacher, he reaches back into Genesis, uh, into this account of Abraham. Okay, Abraham's the, the father of God's people, the father of the nation Israel. Abraham's this man who God gives a hope against all odds, a hope, a promise of having children, of having many descendants. But the thing is, as he's pointing back to Abraham and, and this promise of descendants for this old man with no kids, it's, it's actually pointing us to the bigger, beautiful threefold promise to bless Abraham with many descendants, a, a great nation, with the land of Canaan, the, the home to live in. And through uh, Abraham, through his people, through this nation, living in this land, all people will be blessed. Now, ultimately, ultimately, how are these people going to be blessed? All people ultimately will be blessed as God deals with sin for good. Okay, that's where this promise, that's where the hope of Abraham, it reaches a climax, and it's a beautiful hope. But it's a, the hope that's kind of this whole pivot for the whole of human history. As God says, even though you have rejected me, even though you have hated me and rebelled against me, even though you deserve to be separated from me, from the source of life, from everything good, I will reach into your yuck, your rejection, your sin, and I'll provide a way for you to be right with me, a way for you to be in relationship with, with me, to enjoy life and life to the full forever. It's a beautiful hope. But the thing about this hope is it doesn't just look nice. Okay, it, it's a hope that has substance. It's a certain hope. Why? Because of who makes the promise. Okay, it's a firm and secure hope because of who God is. Because God doesn't, he, he can't lie. Come with me to verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the ears of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. You see, what God promises, it's as good as done. Because this promise to Abraham, it's as good as done. And so sure enough, Isaac is born. His family becomes the nation of Israel. His sons, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. Because God can't lie. But there's actually something radical to see here. And that is that Abraham's promise and Abraham's hope, they aren't just for him back then. Okay, Abraham's hope doesn't start and finish with a child, a family, a nation, and a land where everyone's living happily ever after, and some blessings get passed around. Okay, Abraham's hope is completed in Jesus, and it's a hope for anyone who will take hold of it. Look with me at verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, don't sell yourself short. Don't settle for the start of hope and kind of hang back with Abraham, knowing that the promise is secure because, you know, God doesn't lie. He said, this is like winning the lotto. Right, and you take the ticket and you stick it on your wall and you frame it and you go, yeah, I won the lot, I got the numbers right. But then you never go and collect your prize. You see, Abraham's hope, it's always been about Jesus. It's always been for everyone, for anyone who will trust in him. Because our hope is in Jesus who's entered the inner sanctuary Now, the inner sanctuary, it's the heart of the temple. Okay, so it's right at the heart of the sacrificial system. It's right, the sacrificial system is at the heart of how God was preparing his people, preparing them for how he, how God himself would deal with our sin and our rejection. The inner sanctuary, it's where God's presence dwells. It's where the sacrifice of atonement is made. Only the high priest, only the high priest could go in there, and then only once a year, and then only after sacrifice had been offered for his sins, because God is so pure, he's so pure, no one who is filthy with sin can come into his presence, and that, that is where Jesus has entered. Now, this is huge. This is huge because Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary as our high priest to secure our hope. But the thing is, Jesus didn't just kind of walk down the road to Jerusalem, open the doors of the temple and walk in and then pull back the curtain and walk into the inner sanctuary. Because that temple, now we're going to see more about this next week, that temple is just a copy, it's a shadow, it's a, it's a dim reflection of the real thing. The real deal? That's the throne room in heaven that Jesus has entered, having died and resurrected and ascended and seated now at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus has entered. 
That's where he's taken his seat. That's where he is giving us a hope as an anchor that is firm and secure. You see, just like an anchor secures a ship in the storm, right, holds firmly against wind and the waves, except this anchor, it isn't dropped over the side of a boat to sink to the bottom of the ocean and kind of embed itself in the mud. See, this anchor, this is an anchor that Jesus has carried up into the throne room in heaven, and he has set it down on the floor of the throne room. And it's tying us, it'll tie anyone who believes in Jesus to the throne room of heaven. And it's holding us firm and secure against everything, against anything that tries to pull us away from Jesus and away from God. It's giving us a hope that anchors us to that throne room in heaven. Now, as we move into chapter seven, uh, this whole, the picture of this beautiful hope, it's filled in a little bit more. It's a hope that's firm and secure. It's also a hope of perfection. This is what's going on with this mysterious character, Melchizedek. And almost everything we know about Melchizedek, it's right here in the book of Hebrews. It isn't much. But what it's saying about Jesus, it's super clear. Come with me uh, to chapter 7, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? You see, this Levitical priesthood, this Old Testament priesthood, this priesthood in the order of Aaron, it never worked. It never brought about, it never attained perfection. Now, a lot, and I mean a lot of blood was spilled, a lot of bulls and goats were killed, sacrificed in the temple. It's a vivid image, a vivid image that the wages of sin is death. But it never worked. It never dealt with the problem of sin. It never brought perfection. It never brought real and lasting hope that would anchor us to the throne room in heaven. So under that old priesthood, do you see? We're stuffed. We're absolutely stuffed. We have no hope. That is except except that Jesus' priesthood, it actually works. In Jesus, perfection can be attained. Again, this is exactly what we need. We need perfection. We need a high priest that works. We need a high priest that gives us hope and anchors us to heaven. And only, only Jesus can do that. Now, our toaster broke the other day. Now, to be fair, it was a $9 toaster from Kmart, so we probably got every dollar out of it. But a toaster, right, it has one job. And all I want in the morning when I get up is I want my cup of coffee and a piece of toast. Kind of crispy on the outside, soft in the middle, hot enough to melt the butter. You can picture it, right? You can almost taste it. 
Now, I really wanted some toast, so I kind of worked out a way that I could wedge the button down to toast my toast. And then, what's that smell? Then the fire alarm was going off, and it had one job, but a high priest. And what good is a high priest if they can't attain perfection, if they don't offer hope, a hope of a hope that's anchored in heaven? What's the point? But Jesus can, because he's not this former type of high priest. Did you notice in verse 18? The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Jesus offers firm and secure hope. A hope of perfection, a hope that anchors us to heaven. A hope by which we can draw near to God, to a holy and a perfect God. And this Jesus, he's supreme in every way. He's supreme in every way and he's able to save us completely. Come with me to verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. See, these old priests, they turn up, they do the mahi, and they die. Not Jesus. He lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood, and so he can save completely. Continuing along in verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus is supreme. He truly meets our needs. He's holy. He's blameless. He's pure. He's set apart. He's exalted above the heavens. See those old priests, they keep offering sacrifices day after day after day. First for their own sins and then for the sins of their people on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Not Jesus, one sacrifice, once and for all. All sins, for all people, when he offers himself. You see, the point is, sacrifice is not supposed to be like dishes. There's just more every day and they just keep coming. Sacrifice, it's supposed to be like knighthood. It happens once and it's done. Now, all that means that we have hope, we have a real and certain hope, a hope that is firm and secure, a hope of perfection, 
a hope that can save us completely and hope that can anchor us to the throne room in heaven. So I've got to ask, what have you anchored yourself to? Your job, your family, travel? How's that going for you? I mean, none of these are bad things. They're great things. They're great things to enjoy. But they're not a firm and secure hope. Have you seen how attractive this hope is that God has kind of laid out in his word this morning? A hope that's firm and secure that will anchor you to heaven, that holds you in relationship with God, the God who made you, the God who loves you. You know, we all have the things that we're looking forward to, the things that get us through the monotony of today or the rubbish that seems to come along from time to time, don't we? We look for something to hold on to. And the preacher of the Hebrews, he's saying, will you lift your gaze? Will you lift your gaze? You've got the right idea, he says. You need hope. You need something to hold on to. But have you seen this hope? This firm and secure that anchors you to heaven. He says, don't settle for hope that looks good but lacks substance. And grab hold of the hope that will not disappoint. Grab hold of the hope of Jesus. He says, it's right here just waiting for you to grab hold of, like an anchor lying, dangling from the throne room of heaven with your name on it. And all you need to do is grab it. Did you see that in chapter six, verse 18? We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You know, maybe you know this hope. Maybe you're already holding on to that anchor. But can I ask, have you grabbed it with both hands? Or, or like these Hebrews, are you kind of looking around, looking around for another hope? The question is, will it hold your weight? This is my problem, right? I hold with one hand onto this hope that is sure and secure, and with the other hand, I'm grabbing for other hopes. I grab for the hope of what I can do myself. The last couple of weeks have been rough. My arthritis has been a nightmare. I've been in a boatload of pain. I woke up one morning and I could not stand the pain from the pressure of my foot resting on the floor. And there were times where I just, not in front of people, because you know you don't want that to happen, I just fall into a chair in the privacy of home and sob. And a part of that is because pain is awful and pain is exhausting and it's wrong. And so sobbing is the right response to that pain. But the other side 
is because I want to grab hold of what I can do myself. Why? Surely if I've seen this hope, the hope that's right here in Hebrews, hope as an anchor for my soul, firm and secure, that anchors me in the throne room of heaven, surely that's a better hope. I don't know, maybe you want to close your eyes. We've read. He's entered into the inner sanctuary on our behalf, on your behalf. He attains perfection and has become a priest on the basis of the power of his indestructible life. He is the guarantor of a better covenant and he lives forever. He truly meets our needs. He is holy. He is blameless. He is pure. He is set apart. He is exalted above the heavens. He always, even right at this very second, is interceding for you. And he sacrificed for your sins once and for all with his own life. He has permanent priesthood and is able to save completely. He is the appointed son who has been made perfect forever. Can that be said of any other hope? Let's pray together. Father, in your son, it's a beautiful hope. A hope that is firm and secure. A hope of perfection. A hope of complete salvation. Father, please help us to take up this hope, to grab it with both hands to throw all the other things that we might trust, just throw them away. Help us to enjoy them, sure, but help us not to set our hopes on those things that will fail. If not today, then tomorrow. You've given us this sure and certain hope that anchors us to the throne room in your presence with your son interceding for us all of the time. Father, please help us to grab hold of that hope with both hands. Amen. If I could get the band.